Welcome to the Bridge Policy Download, produced by the Mercatus Center at George Mason University. Today, we're bringing you a conversation between Alden Abbott, Senior Research Fellow here at Mercatus, and Daniel Spulber, Professor of International Business, Strategy, and Law at Northwestern University. They take a deep dive into Professor Spulber's latest book, The Case for Patents. They discuss what we can possibly expect from policymakers regarding patents in the coming years, and much more. If you'd like to contact a scholar involved in this episode, please email mercatusoutreach at mercatus.gmu.edu. Welcome today to a podcast on the topic of patents. Patents are of enormous consequence to innovation in the American economy and to our economic future, and therefore American public policy towards patents is is critically important, particularly now in this high-tech age. And we have today one of the leading experts on the economics of innovation and of patents joining us to discuss this very important issue and this current state of American policy in the patent field. Professor Spolber is one of the most distinguished scholars in his field and has won many National Science Foundation research grants. And I might mention he's a really great friend. Uh, He's put on some great conferences dealing with these issues of innovation at Northwestern University. And I'm just delighted that he's here to talk about the latest of his 14 books, The Case for Patents. Uh, Now, this book sets forth an affirmative case for the many economic benefits of the American patent system and shows how patents provide incentives for innovation, invention, and technological change. So thank you, Professor Spolber. Delighted you're here. Big picture, Professor Spolber, what motivated you to write this book? Well, thanks very much for that very kind introduction, and thanks very much for having me here today for this great podcast. It's really a pleasure to be here. What motivated me to write this book is that despite their great importance for the economy, patents have been facing a perfect storm of criticism. Lobbying groups uh, established by major corporations have been developing all kinds of arguments against the patent system and have criticized inventors and and the patents that they hold and that criticized the government uh, patent system itself. At the same time, there's been criticism of the patent system in the press, criticism from members of Congress. The courts have been on again, off again with uh, defense of intellectual property And even other areas in the government, government agencies have criticized the patent system. I felt that because patents are so important, it would be really helpful if we had a better idea just how the patent system operates. And I believe that knowing a little bit more would help to calm this this storm of criticism and help people appreciate what patents really do. Now, you mentioned criticism. Indeed, many critics, including some people who say they're free market enthusiasts, claim that patents are really just government-granted monopolies that impose a sort of tax on firms that want to employ new innovative products and processes. Now, from that perspective, patents would slow down the implementation of technological improvements in our economy. So what's wrong with that picture? Well, 
that picture is very wrong because uh, patents really are the government recognition of inventions provided by inventors. It's very hard to get a patent. Not only do you have to have a new idea and it has to pass the, the test that it's novel, but it has to be useful and it has to improve on existing technology and so on. And so patents don't subtract from our system of uh, inventions and technology, but they are always adding something. They're certainly not a grant of a monopoly. It's the grant that you've come up with an original idea. The patent protects the inventor's ability to use and develop or let others use and develop the invention. But it doesn't limit access to markets. Other inventors with their ideas can access uh, the marketplace Innovators that apply the invention can access the marketplace and so on. So a monopoly is a restriction of access to the marketplace and patents don't do that at all. And in fact, patents promote competition because they allow inventors to bring their inventions to market, to uh, license it to others, to sell it to others and so on. So I would say rather than being a monopoly, patents give inventors and others incentives to compete in the marketplace. Your references to monopoly brings to mind the issue of antitrust law. Now, now some commentators in the past said antitrust law, which is over a century old and tries to promote vigorous competition and open markets in, in the U.S., is in tension with patents because patents grant an exclusive right. So what do you think is the uh, proper role of the antitrust laws in preventing patent holders from abusing their market power, the power they get from having sole authority to exclude people from their technology, particularly in patent licensing. This is an issue that has is sparking a lot of controversy. That is a really great question. The antitrust laws, as everyone knows, are there to promote competition, to rule out monopolization through improper means and to prevent companies from colluding. Protection for intellectual property, including patents, but also trademarks and trade secrets and copyright, are very important for promoting competition as well. But competition has changed. We're going through a period of intense change, and I think that's why these issues have come to the fore. Traditionally, the antitrust laws focused on price competition. In other words, how one company might raise or lower its prices in competing with another. Today, price competition still exists, but it's been joined by what is called by economists non-price competition. And a lot of non-price competition is driven by invention and innovation. In other words, we have better phones, new kinds of phones, mobile phones, new kinds of computers, biotech, new kinds of vehicles and computer software and so on. And therefore, we need to realize that the nature of competition has changed. And for that reason, it's become more and more important for antitrust laws to recognize and even to protect intellectual property as a means of promoting competition. And so we're in the period where antitrust is beginning to change. A number of years ago, an important case, Illinois Tool, 
recognize that patents shouldn't be seen as conferring a monopoly. In other words, the presumption of monopoly has been pushed aside in the law, which is a great development. And now we're going to go forward, I believe, and the the law will increasingly recognize that patents are really not an impediment to competition, but really the secret sauce that underlies today's new kinds of competition. The secret sauce is making me hungry. But uh, And for more information, now your book covers a lot of ground. Your first chapter provides a framework for demonstrating how patents laid a foundation for what you describe as a market for inventions. What do you mean by that? Well, I think that uh, traditionally people said that patents were just protection of intellectual property. And uh, the inventor made a deal uh, by revealing some information about invention and in the in return got some kind of protection and that that was the beginning and end of it. But it turns out that the patent system has many, many wonderful features that are helpful to the market for technology. The market for technology is growing every year. And the number of patents is expanding as well. And so it's really important to recognize that patents do a lot more than encourage inventors to reveal their invention and protect the property rights of inventors. They do much more. So let me give you some quick things that they do. First of all, patents confer some ability to exclude others. This helps the inventor to transact with others. In other words, they can license it to potential implementers of the technology they can sell and so on. And so the exclusion provision allows the market for technology to allocate the inventions to where they'll do the most good, to where they provide the greatest productivity to the economy. Another aspect of patents is the transferability patents can be bought and sold. And again, this allows the patent to be commercialized and to be put in the hands of companies that, that can do the most good, economically speaking, that can use them in the most efficient way. I've already mentioned disclosure, but the nice thing about disclosure is that the patent system helps in the disclosure. It becomes easier to locate patents and the USPTO or United States Patent and Trademark Office provides all kinds of rules for disclosure. And this is very helpful for other inventors seeking to learn about inventions and for technology implementers seeking to apply the technology. Next, the patent system provides certification, kind of like the good housekeeping seal of approval. One can't discuss whether there are too many or too few patents. This is a subject of argumentation. But the certification is very helpful when including the patents, say, in a a license to use the technology in a deal between companies. That way you can say, well, I'm going to allow you to use this technology. It's been certified by a a patent by the USPTO, and this helps streamline transactions in the market for technology. Closely related to that is the notion of standardization. I'm not talking just yet about technology standards made by standards organizations. We can get back to that. But I'm talking about the patents themselves. They provide a standard description of the patent. And so all you've got to do in some sense is refer to the number and someone can pull up the 
the patent and you, you'll see who the inventors were, who the patent holders are, what are the basic outlines of the, the technology and the invention. And all this is standardized and it gives people some convenience when they transact and talk about the patent and uh, make the technology available. And finally, patents are uh, in some sense, a means of dividing, dividing technologies into bite-sized amounts. And so that way you can put them together in a portfolio, you can license individual patents. And so we don't have to see a firm's technology as a giant system, but rather it's divided up into bite-sized uh, amounts. And this facilitates transactions in the market for technology. So that's very interesting. So wow, I think what I hear you saying is a patent should be just thought about as this big monopoly grant, but instead a way for information the inventors develop to be used in different ways in the marketplace to produce all sorts of things and to, to encourage the spread of knowledge. That's really an interesting angle, I think, on, on patents. The great thing about patents is that it's a step toward commercialization of technology. It's one thing to have an idea and to have that idea recognized by a patent, but the technology does no good until it can be out there in the marketplace, put to use by implementers and others. And so the patent system, whether by happy coincidence or by design, provides a mechanism for the development of the market for technology. In other words, it helps the technology get from the mind of the inventor and the lab out into the economy where it can be put to use by others. And that's what gives us these marvelous technological changes that we benefit from, whether it's uh, mobile phones or computers and so on. Well, that that's great. And my sense is lots of the people who actually manufacture the mobile phones are, are using somebody else's patents. So, so Somebody else's patents and tech have been very important to these great innovations and benefits we've gotten from that. That's exactly right. Absolutely. Sometimes they use hundreds, maybe thousands of inventions. And I, I like to say that we live in an era with complex innovation. And by that, I mean that the innovations we benefit from today and that are available in the marketplace often are bundles of hundreds or thousands of inventions. And the patent system makes it not only easy to commercialize technology, but easier to combine those technologies into bundles. Without that, for example, the mobile phone wouldn't be feasible because it contains advances in software, in modems and radio transmission, in, in computer chips, screens, memory, batteries and all kinds of things all jammed into that small mobile phone that's in our pocket. And in there are hundreds, thousands of inventions. That's fascinating. Now, let me get to one more criticism. Some scholars have said, well, maybe patents are, are good, but it would be cheaper and more efficient for the government to give prizes for new and useful inventions, because using prizes, you'd avoid potential restrictions on output and other costs of the patent system. What do you say to that? Well, on the surface, that sounds like a great idea, because who doesn't like to get a prize? And in fact, it's fun to think of contests and, and, and giving others prizes. 
I think the belief that we can replace the incredible patent system with millions of patents with a system of prizes is naive at best. The government would be charged with knowing not only what's the best technology at present, which I think would be difficult, but the government would have to know what would be the technologies of the future, at least the areas in which technological change should occur. Government bureaucrats would be charged with designing contests, fixing the amount of prizes for the contest, picking the best technologies, and then allocating those technologies to the marketplace. All of these tasks are completely impossible. We know that the government is really not the best mechanism for allocating goods and services in the marketplace. That's why we have a market economy. But the problems of allocating technology are far, far more complicated than allocating goods and services because it requires tremendous amount of technical and scientific knowledge. And government bureaucrats aren't very good at allocating bread and cheese. They're really not good at allocating high technology software and so on. The problem with the the analyses in the academic literature promoting prizes is that they've rigged the game. And let me explain what I mean. They say that patents are a bad thing because patent holders uh, may receive some royalties for their invention if they license it to others. Well, those royalties provide incentives for inventors to provide inventions and then develop them later on. And they also protect innovators who use those inventions. This is the beauty of the patent system. Also, the market for technology prices are changing every day for licenses and patent transfers and products that include these technologies. And so it's a dynamic system with constant adjustment to the presence of new technologies and the obsolescence of old technologies. The other problem with uh, the government system that can't couldn't keep up with the marketplace is where would the money come from? So the uh, typical analysis in the academic literature assumes that the government can somehow just get some money They're not the only ones who believe that. And that the money the government gets doesn't distort decisions in the economy. They criticize patent royalties as being distortionary. They're not that distortionary. They're typically a very tiny fraction of the final price of various products. But the assumption is made in the prize argument that the government can raise money without distorting individual decisions. However, it's well known that the cost of raising a dollar through taxation involves significant distortions of economic decisions, whether it's in the labor market or even in the market for capital investment, those decisions are distorted by government taxation. So the government is at a disadvantage even in obtaining money to pay for prizes. But again, a few prizes by the government can't compete with millions of different patents that provide support for all kinds of inventions, and the hundreds of millions or even billions of decision makers in the marketplace that help uh, evaluate what are the good technologies and what are the less useful ones. Very interesting. I I seem to remember that the government in recent years has not had the best record in (laughs) granting subsidies to certain new 
green technologies, for example, and sometimes it doesn't work out. So government doesn't always work perfectly, it seems. As Hayek uh, long ago observed, there's no substitute for the man on the spot, the individual in the economy whose interests are affected by an economic decision. And we know that the government just lacks the information available to the man on the spot. And I should say the man or woman on the spot making the decisions. In contrast with technology, the man or woman on the spot is often someone with scientific and technological knowledge, maybe an engineer, a mathematician, or a a business executive with knowledge of uh, consumer demand in the industry. And it's impossible for government officials to duplicate all of this private knowledge. They don't have the expertise. There wouldn't be enough bureaucrats. You would have to double the size of the economy to have all those people sitting in government. We already have those decision makers, their businesses and and uh, technical personnel. We have a great system. Why change it? Great. Now, let me go to a specific issue you discussed. New methods of doing business has have raised some controversy. Some say they should not be patentable. So, I mean, things like semiconductors, new life-saving drugs, you can see patents associated with those. But some people say, well, doing business, business methods, that's sort of intuitive. Why do you need special patent grants? Yes. So the courts have steadily chipped away at the patent system with this issue called subject matter eligibility. In other words, certain types of subject matter may not be eligible for patents. And the argument is that they involve just obvious steps or a process and not a machine or some kind of obvious ideas or laws of nature and so on. Now, some of these objections may be legitimate, but others, particularly when they're made in a systematic way, can uh, limit new technologies on the frontier. And so, uh, for example, a famous case known as Bilski said that a certain business method invention shouldn't be granted a patent. And in that famous Bilski case, the Supreme Court asked the question, should we grant patents to any business method inventions? We are in the throes of what I call right now the business revolution in which we are automating retail, wholesale, financial transactions, and so on. And we are benefiting every day from all these tremendous advancements. We are replacing human effort and drudgery with uh, uh, amazing new technologies for retail, wholesale, financial transactions. If we were to stop business method inventions, this would slow this business revolution that has made our lives so much better. Uh, During the pandemic, Many people benefited from being able to go online to interact or to buy and sell and so on. In that way, we were beneficiaries of this business revolution like never before. So restricting business method inventions, as the Supreme Court suggested they might do, would be a way of limiting technological change just at the moment when it's the frontier. Now, chapter four of your book, Professor, introduces what you call a contract approach to patent infringement and proposes a methodology for determining 
reasonable royalty damages for infringement. Could you describe your proposal and explain how it compares to existing legal principles for determining damages for patent infringements? Uh, Yes, thanks. That's a very nice question. As everyone knows, patents are one kind of intellectual property, and uh, intellectual property provides protection for the inventor, as I said before, when they create inventions and, and even when they develop them after the patent grant. But that's not enough. The inventor needs to commercialize the invention by licensing or selling to others or even using the invention. And so intellectual property alone is not enough. To have invention and innovation, we need commercialization. And that means typically contracts. So to give you an example, when uh, an inventor licenses the patent to a firm that will use that invention, that involves a patent license agreement, in other words, a contract. This means that the contract is going to evolve over time, it's going to handle the the transaction that takes place over time, and forming the contract allows that to happen. And so I suggest that we can't just think about intellectual property, we have to think about what I call the intellectual contract. There are many kinds of intellectual contracts. There are joint R&D between firms and contracts between firms and their employees. But one of the main kinds of intellectual contracts is the patents license agreement. I'm suggesting in addition that when the courts try to find a way to develop damages when someone has infringed on a patent, in other words, is using the technology without compensating the inventor, that they should also think about what would have been the contract between the inventor and the technology user, and that the courts can use this to be guided in the calculation of royalties. It's not a hypothetical contract that they might have made, but what would have been the contract given the actual usage of the technology by the patent infringer? And I think this will provide guidance to the courts in legal cases and, in addition, will help in the negotiation of actual patent license agreements between inventors and implementers. So you're saying you really have to look at what, what's happening in the marketplace as it's evolved in order to determine value. I know there's some theorists who have said, well, particularly in areas where you have standard standardized technologies and st- standards, they say, well, you should look back at before the standard was set, the difference between the value of the invention you have and the next best invention and anything more than that difference in value must be arise from some sort of a special monopoly power, and you don't want to give that to the patent holder. Do you think that's a flawed way of looking at things? I do. I agree with uh, the premise of your question very much. So here's the thing. We have eliminated the presumption of monopoly for patent holders in the law. What worries me is the most valuable uh, patents today may indeed be those that uh, are uh, so-called standard essential patents used to develop uh, inventions uh, that conform to technology standards. A good example is 5G and mobile telecommunications. And uh, my worry is that now we, we have transferred the presumption of monopoly to standard essential patents. 
But uh, that just like patents are not a monopoly, those that are used for standards uh, don't indicate a monopoly either. And uh, the to, to go back to your question, how do we compare the contribution of the patent when it's part of a technology standard like 5G? Uh, it's wrong to think about comparing to alternative standards that were never developed. I think the best way to think about it is how does the new technology compare to existing technology, technology that we have available, and does it provide an improvement and does it make us better off? And usually it's only incorporated within a new standard when it represents a major technological leap forward. And so for that reason, standard essential patents are pro-competitive rather than anti-competitive. We shouldn't presume monopoly, rather we should welcome them. Just like patents, generally they don't subtract, but they add to our options because we still have the option of the prior technology and the new standard, say 5G, provides uh, benefits to consumers and uh, we want to reap those benefits if we can. Right. And so what I'm, I've been hearing you say also, I think you're also getting to the point that these sorts of new intellectual contracts, what they really do is they allow, whether their patents are pulled together or collected, they allow rapid commercialization and transfer of, of property throughout the system. So it's really a, a way of getting technologies out and implemented faster. Is, is that sort of what you're getting at too? Yes, and so it's really important that we don't just uh, think of getting the patent that we were talking about prizes before as some kind of end of the road. Okay, I got the patent, I can rest on my laurels. What we want is that the patent gets out into the marketplace, gets used by companies to produce new products or new production methods or new transaction techniques, uh, new ways of doing business. And that those get out into the marketplace so that consumers can ultimately benefit. So the patent is more like the beginning of the process, not the end of the process. It kicks off this process of innovation and allows the technology, as I say, to get out of the lab, out of the mind of the inventor and into the marketplace. But from there, it needs to be applied and it needs to be used. And then finally, products and uh, technologies for transactions and production processes can get implemented. And ultimately, we can have cheaper products, better products, creative products, products that make our our life better. And so I've emphasized that intellectual property is important, but my book also introduces the intellectual contract idea that we need intellectual property as a foundation for the market but we need intellectual contract to get the ideas out into the marketplace. Well, well, that's really a fascinating take on things. And now I'd like you to go big picture again from, say, 50,000 feet, or I I don't know if you're in Europe, perhaps 50,000 meters. But looking at our patent policies overall, you pointed out some potential weaknesses and drawbacks and and critiques, but where are they strong and where, where should they be reinforced? And if you could make any one change, say, to the patent system, any reform that would really advance innovation, what might it be? Well, there are a number of things I'd like to think about uh, for patents. One is I would like to see attitudes change. In other words, uh, a recognition that inventors work very hard to educate themselves, to learn about science, technology, biotech, whatever their chosen field is 
and they work hard to develop inventions. And then getting a patent is very hard. You have to apply. You have to get uh, recognized and chosen. Uh, your, your technology has to be shown to be useful, no- novel, and so on. And then they have to pay substantial fees to, to maintain their patents. And then they must invest a lot of money or someone has to invest a lot of money to commercialize the invention, get it out into the marketplace. So I'd like to people to recognize that uh, benefits achieved by those who create come at a very high cost to the creative people, the inventors that develop them, the innovators that apply them, and uh, to realize that if there are rewards, there's also substantial effort and cost. I'd like people also to recognize that patents uh, receive rewards only because they provide tremendous benefits to others. They help companies lower their costs. They help them improve their products. Now, this means that the patent system should be try to be as helpful as possible. So I would like to see the USPTO maybe not uh, review so much the patents after the fact, but have confidence in, in its initial selection. I'd like to see the courts recognize the importance of patents as intellectual property. And I'm thinking here of the eBay case, which limited the inventor's ability to obtain injunctions. And finally, going forward, I think the recognition of patents' contribution to standardized technology will become more and more important in the future. Okay, well, this is fascinating. And I think what we've gotten from this is that simple notion of a patent as some sort of special monopoly grant given to parties that are sort of a block on the economic system. Instead, what we've seen from Professor Spolber is patents really are part of a process of innovation. They create incentives initially for innovators, but they provide means for commercialization, for new technologies to go out throughout the system. And that government trying to micromanage returns to patent holders or, or limit the scope of patents too much risks interfering in these voluntary private transactions, which have created uh, all sorts of economic benefits to consumers and producers. So again, I guess another warning that be, be careful what you ask for if, you, if you're pushing for too many government restrictions on voluntary private sector transactions that seem to be doing a lot of good. So I guess that about wraps things up. Again, Professor Spolber, uh, this has been just great. Professor Spolber's book, once again, is The Case for Patents to be published by World Scientific Publishing Company. And it goes into a lot of detail for those of you who want to find out more about this area, which is going to be enormously important in the public policy debates over the next two years. Thank you very much once again, Professor Spolber, and and thank you to our audience. Thank you very much, Alden. It's really been a pleasure talking with you today. Had a great time. Thanks for listening to the Bridge Policy Download. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, Overcast, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. If you would like to request a meeting with one of our scholars or ask them a question, please email Mercatus Outreach at mercatus.gmu.edu for more information.